Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Innovation Tech Talks brought to you by Omron, a leader in healthcare technology. I'm your host, Corey Knowles. And today's podcast is going to be a cool one. Uh, we're going to be talking about the world of vinyl records and merging that with true digital here with Aaron Peterson. Aaron is the technical co-founder of Burntable, the creator of DropStation. Burntable is the world's first dedicated site designed to ease the digital preservation of vinyl recordings. Uh, if you're asking yourself if that's the same as streaming music on Spotify or Apple, it absolutely is not. This is so far beyond that. So prepare for an education on merging these worlds to create some killer high quality sound that you probably haven't heard before. Aaron, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Your introduction was so much better than anything I could have even come up with myself. I'm like, I gotta, I have to write all that down because <laughs> I do really too. Good. Don't feel Thank bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, you know, I guess, I guess, let's start out by learning a little about you. Uh, kind of, what's your background, Aaron? Um, it is a, mostly software, and then I had a little bit of a music mixing and production career in the early 2000s. I opened a small recording studio with my friend, who's also my Burntable co-founder. Um, we opened a recording studio in Koreatown. And I would say, you know, I had been messing with audio recording since uh, the mid 90s. Uh, wow. uh, and then, and I'm a musician, I play pretty much everything. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of how like learning about audio and learning about the different qualities of audio um, that's how that started. And then, um, that's how I learned about digital. So I've been messing with, you know, analog to digital conversion for many years and kind of watching that change, um, going from even myself, you know, I was born in 1978, but I still kind of caught the tail end of, of the analog world. Um, Same. and so, so I got to, to sort of make that transition, um, you know, in, in the amateur world, uh, yeah. you know, before, um, and then, yeah, sort of like right in the middle of that, being, being able to see and, and really start listening to when analog to digital conversion, um, made it into the home studio and started getting like phenomenal, probably with the, um, was it called the double O two or something that, that, uh, who made that there was, a, there was an audio interface that was like the one that changed everything. And I can remember listening to that and being like, this sounds pretty freaking good. You know, this is, this is going to change everything. Now, if we can just get the price of hard drives down, it will solve yeah. all of our problems, <laughs> which, is a, which is a moot issue now. Nobody cares. Like hard drives are basically free. Thank God. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Those so have that, that's how, yeah, that's how that started. That's how, and then, cause then eventually, uh, Chris, my co-founder, um, he got me into collecting vinyl. He he's the one who started saying, you know, I think it was it was Steve Albini's Master of In Utero by oh. Nirvana that was he was like, let me just capture this to my my little Motu audio interface. I just want you to hear what this sounds like. It's going to blow your mind. And so, being able to hear that right off now, keep in mind he has a he has a Rega. P3. He's got a Hanna SL cartridge. He's got, you know, a pretty He's nice well equipped. Well <laughs> equipped. And so it was like everything that that mastering engineer and that uh, lathe operator cutting that, that record, you know, cutting that lacquer, everything they put into that, you know, we could hear crystal clear, but you got the whole thing. You got the whole ride of like the yeah. dynamics and just like, I, I feel like it sparked something in me that was like, shit, you know, this is, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the S-H word. Ah, you, uh, you're I good. Don't know. All right, <laughs> sorry. I cuss a lot. I'm really, I'm going to try my hardest. Um, but I, I thought, you know, if, like, this is, if I'm going to listen to In Utero, this is the one I want to hear. Well, it was like, okay, yeah. well, you got to go buy this. You got to go buy that Steve Albini pressing on Discogs and it's 280 bucks. And I'm like, well, that's a bummer. And yeah. so it, it got to this thing where it was like, now I want to hear what this sounds like in my car. And then I listened in my car and I was like, again, it was like, why, why doesn't, why doesn't anything sound like this anymore? And, and that's how it started. And it was like kind of right in the beginning of the pandemic. And it was like, let's work on this now. Let's, let's turn this in. We're nuts. Like who cares? It might be the end of the world. Let's just do something crazy. Who cares? That's right. And so that's how it started. 
Wow. Well, you know, I'm brand new to Burn Table. Like I, like I told you before we got on here, I was meeting with our producer, Alan, here, and he was telling me about this site. And I thought, man, I, the truth is I had forgotten just how bad some digital music can sound. You get so accustomed to, and not all digital music, but. Oh, yeah. But between my turntable and that, it's just so night and day, so much more than I realized. Uh, something like this is a cool tool. How did so? Did the the idea from this just came from you guys wanting to listen to it in the car and things I'm like that? I'm pretty sure that 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 was what sparked the whole thing. And then it was like, oh, let me, you know, we're huge Pixies fans, and so then it was probably nice. like, you know, oh, listen to this Surfer Rosa, and then it was listen to this, and then it was one thing after another, and it was like, man, people need to hear this. Like, people, this, this should at least be an alternative to like the the. 0.5% or 0.1% of us that really care how stuff sounds. And I know that, you know, there's Cobas and Tidal and there's alternatives to, you know, just run of the mill digital releases. Um, but none of them really captured that, that ride. I call it a ride. I mean, that's what it feels like. And it doesn't matter what I'm listening to now. That's why we created the burn table, like radio thing. Originally it was yes. just like sort of a Discogs companion. So you know, if you go to the reviews of any pressing on Discogs, you'll uh -huh. see people saying like either this pressing is crap, don't buy it. Or um, the first one I bought was terrible. The second one was great. Or people saying this is the greatest pressing I've ever heard in my life. An example yeah. of that is um, Spoon's uh, Ga 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 record. Um, that pressing, and to me, sonically, is one of the most well done vinyl pressings better than anything from mobile fidelity. I love mobile fidelity, trust me, but I mean yeah. like it, for just being their base, their base non audiophile pressing it, that the guitars like that is just, it's larger than life. And oh. so to, to me, you start thinking about like, well, these are all people, you know, yeah, they all come from the analog world. To me, this, the discussion's never been analog versus digital because because you're right, digital can be done fantastically, and it is, yeah. it is a lot of the time. Um, but then you compare some some old masters, you know, that only exist on vinyl to what's out there on, you know, even like Apple Lossless or yeah. or whatever, and it's like it doesn't even come close. And and I could just as easily say, which is true, there are some terrible pressings. I have quite a few of them. You, yeah. you know, usually. When I'm just going through Target, like grocery shopping, I swing by their little vinyl aisle. Yeah. I have about I have about a fifty percent success rate on their pressings. The good ones are amazing. the The weekend, the highlights, is the way to hear the weekend's body of work. Nice. If, and I'm not even into pop, but that <laughs> is like whoever whoever took the time to cut that lacquer was somebody who was like, I'm going to make this sound really good. Like the, you know, and that's the, that's the cool part of the whole thing to me. And so then it became like, well, can we get a streaming license? How do we make this legal? So, you know, first we wanted people to just be able to hear kind of firsthand, this is what this pressing sounds like. So if you're going to, if you're going to spend this much money for it in the Discogs marketplace, at least to know what you're getting into. Yeah. And then the second part was, well, if we have all these files, how can we go about letting people listen to them legally? And so we, we figured out we could get this and you know, talked to a few uh, copyright attorneys and figured out we could get this uh, non-interactive streaming license, kind of like Pandora used to be, if you remember that, like you basically, they don't want you to be able to choose what comes next is the idea. Yeah. So it's supposed to sort of be a radio license kind of. Yeah. That and makes sense. so we, we pay a fixed rate per play. Um, we're hoping we're, that's going to be its own app, like a, a listening app that's almost done. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and th so then that whole thing kind of got on. And then, and then we're hoping to get to the point that we can convince um, like the big three record labels to give us like the same license that Cobas and Title have. Yeah. Um, nice. And the cool thing with that is, I think, I, I hope they'll be interested just because they, they right now kind of, you know, when, when a mom and pop record shop acquires, you know, say a Robert Ludwig mastered Led Zeppelin II, 
Yeah. They, they might only pay five bucks for that and they might turn around and sell it in their store for 800. Yep. And their record, like Led Zeppelin didn't get any money. The label didn't get any money. And so there's no way, but yet we have the Robert Ludwig Led Zeppelin two on burn table. And so it's kind of like, would, would people be willing to pay a monthly fee for interactive streaming on burn table? Kind of like in addition to, um, having whatever their favorite digital streaming services. And so that's yeah, where, that's that's my where we see it. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Because we want it to be interactive. I think that's the most fun. Because then, you you know, you, we can sort of be semi-interactive. There, There's just some some legal rules we kind of have to, to follow before we need sort of like ma- master rights, what they call master rights. Yeah. And so um, that's kind of like, yeah, that's that's where we're at right now, at least. Nice. Well, you know what? I I I hate comparing it to Pandora because it's it's very different. But at the same time, that kind of randomness of what comes next is is pretty awesome too. Uh, let's take a quick break here uh, for a message from our sponsors at Omron Healthcare, and we'll be right back. Today's episode of Innovation Tech Talks is brought to you by Omron. Omron is a world leader in technology designed to solve social issues, improve lives, and build a better tomorrow. They serve a range of industries which utilize their technologies to innovate and grow factory automation, healthcare, mobility, and energy management. In the industrial automation business, Omron technology demonstrates the power of machines to unleash human potential, pursuing the ideal in automation in which people and machines are working together in harmony. Omron provides sensing, control, safety, vision, motion, and robotics technologies for the automotive, food and beverage packaging, semiconductor, electronics, life sciences, and infrastructure industries. For over 80 years, Omron has helped industrial businesses maximize potential by solving problems with creativity. Learn more, go to automation.omron.com. What is your vision for burn table and excuse me, burn table and the drop station. How do you see those? Well, the, the drop station came after burn table was created. What happened was we realized like the equipment we're using to capture vinyl is in the, in the software is is designed to record, um, music like it's designed it's designed for music production and it's and in that a lot of that stuff kind of gets in the way the computer itself gets in the way um and then i i've been like a raspberry pi user arduino and all that stuff i've been using that stuff all since pretty much it started like any you know when arduino started i was into arduino i've been doing electronics building my own guitar pedals forever oh nice and um and yeah i actually had a for one of my birthdays, I think when I was 13, my parents bought me a book called Electronics Projects for Musicians. And it had a it had a um, flexible like 45 vinyl in the back that you could listen to the examples of the projects on oh, a turntable. Wow. Yeah. I still have that thing somewhere. I think I still have the record, too. I should put that on burn table. <laughs> um, so it's like um, what we did, what, what happened was it was like, well, how can we make this easier and not only that, so we have to make like a convenience product, right? But at the same time, it, it has to sound really good. So we, we, and by sound really good, I mean not do anything to the signal. And so I've never made any really like fine, you know, in a, on a guitar pedal, you might not, you definitely don't have like really low noise requirements and really low yeah. distortion requirements. Um, and yet on this, you know, we, we basically want to make sure that the signal that comes in is exactly what occurred so that it could be captured by the analog to digital converter and be an accurate representation of what's on the turntable and what's on um, the cartridge and, and of course the pressing itself. So the idea was to make something, make like an easy interface to just capture the records while you're listening to them. Um, and, and when I listen to vinyl, I, I, I imagine most people do this. I haven't researched this. I listen to like side A and I flip the record over and I listen to side B. That's, Same. that's how I listen to records. And so it, it, in a, in a sense, we just wanted a way. We figured most people who are going to be into burn table are probably like us and listen to records the same way we do. Why not just have, let them be able to take their phone out and just hit capture and capture what's happening 
in a passive way that's not only like uh, electronically and, and well, I should say electronically passive, meaning that the signal can still pass through to your amp. We just kind of tap into it and yeah. capture the and, and convert it to digital. And so we had to, th the idea was to create something to make it easier for people to get stuff on, on Burntable. We did not know so many people were going to come. We had, a, we had like an interest list from our website of like 1600 people so quickly oh and getting emails from all over the world where it's like, you know, Hey, I have this collection of like rare Swedish metal and it's like, and I have 1800 LPs and they're all awesome. And nobody can stream this stuff. And we're like, we got every, we got a, a DJ from Detroit who, you know, I have 3000 records and I have jazz records that are unreleased and there's such good pressings. It feels like you're in the room and all this, we were like, Holy crap. Like this is exactly what, this is exactly what we wanted. It's the same yeah. thing that sparked it from the beginning with, with just Steve Albini, not just, I mean, Steve Albini is amazing, but with yeah. in utero's everything that happened during the recording of in utero and, and, the care that was taken in the chain of the chain of custody of that recording and that master was critical to what you experience when you're listening to one of those good pressings. And so we just, the vision was for burn table and drop station was just to make capturing that and, and getting it out there into the world to where it could legally be streamed, hopefully interactively soon. Yeah. Um, to make that as easy as possible. And then not only that, but, these collectors, like these guys that, that have these super rare, even if you don't have rare records, but if you've been collecting good pressings, you know what stuff you love to listen to in your collection and being able to like have you be the last line of, of defense against creating a crappy digital version of something. It, it honors the master so that the, the labels are concerned about that. The labels yeah. kind of want final say in the master and that, that, um, vinyl, you know, analog pressing or that vinyl pressing is, is an approved master. And in fact, we, we go as far to say, even on our, our like contributors guide to not do anything to the signal, no dynamics, yeah. no nothing. And so we had to, we had to go as far as writing an algorithm that would peak limit across all sides of a release so that we do peak limiting, but it's not a dynamic, not technically like destructive dynamic processing. It's just yeah. math, simple math. And, um, and so that was kind of the ideal that that was the idea, which was that, you know, these people with these pressings that are, that sound great, even if they're not rare example would be the weekend, the highlights, which was, you know, it's yeah. a double LP from target, not a rare pressing, but a fantastic pressing. And I, I feel like if you're a, if you're a fan of the weekend, you might like to hear this version in your car versus what's on title. You might, if you don't, you don't. But yeah. one of the things that happens is our, our streaming stuff is, is significantly quieter um, or seems quieter because it is not being um, limited. It's not being, you know, when you limit something, you're, you're actually kind of just cramming the bottom up to the top and you're yeah. shrinking all shrinking down, compressing all those dynamics. Um, you know, Spotify, Spotify limits everything to um, an algorithm called LUFS and, and they use, I believe what they call, I think it's called minus, I, I think they go to minus 16 LUFS. And if you read about mastering engineers complaining to Spotify about leave my effing files alone, as in leave my, yeah. leave, let me do it. Don't change. And then Spotify's thing is like, well, if our audio doesn't appear louder, then a competing streaming service, it will make people will say, well, Spotify doesn't sound good. And, and that's, that's just a lack of consumer education that yeah. you have to realize when you make something louder and, and you're pushing up against that limit, these dynamics disappear. That's destructive yeah. to, to everything. That means that maybe this chorus was supposed to be louder than the last one. That's gone. Yeah. Maybe this chorus is supposed to be way louder than the verse before it. That's, that's gone. That's been diminished yeah. and all because, oh, we need to have something that appears competitive. And so you remember like the loudness wars with the Metallica record that kind yeah. of made everyone finally consumers are like, this doesn't sound good. It's like, stop, yeah. stop what you're doing. You've gone too far. <laughs> um, people have to realize that 
that never really stopped happening. And especially when it came to digital mass digital distribution is, is we kept kind of crunching that, you know, that crunching, compressing those dynamics up there. What happens, the first thing you'll notice if you stream something like Burntable in your car is that you have to turn it up. And it's not that the, the that we put quiet information into the file, it's that you know the loudest point is still the loudest point that your car stereo yep. can go. The difference is, is that all of the subtle sounds that make that what's so important about those dynamics is still there. And that yeah. what what the guy who cut the lacquer, um, the lathe operator, um, took care to to preserve those dynamics for a reason. And so, and that's the same goes for any mastering engineer. And then to take what that guy or girl did and and just hand it off to Spotify to go, you know, and smash it so that it's louder. It's like, well, what? You, you know, you aren't the experts here. You're just a yeah. streaming service. You just, you know. So. You wouldn't strip the light colors off of a painting. <laughs> you oh, know? that is that is the, the best. I'm glad you brought that up because it is the perfect analogy. It would be like going to, to see going to the, the finest fine art museum. And <laughs> and one day they're like, yeah, today we decided to light everything with blue LEDs because we yeah. thought it was cool. It's like, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't, you can't just, and like, what would the, you know, if, if you're somewhere where all of these painters can't speak for themselves anymore, suddenly, you know, they're saying, and who knows what they would say? Like, well, why yeah. did you light it? Like, why'd you light it from the top down? When I painted it, the window was behind me. And like yeah. all these things, then suddenly, you know, you're you're getting into exactly what you said is that you you know, yeah, it's like today today our museum is going to be lit by black lights. You would never <laughs> hear that. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> right, and, and yeah. for a good reason. Yes. Uh, on a side note, I I came across your Kickstarter campaign, and it kind of blew me away. In two days, am I correct? You guys were fully funded and yeah, in two days. Worthy? And we we actually we were worried because of the situation with Raspberry Pi availability. Um, we so we were kind of like running ads to promote it on Facebook and Instagram, which we pulled after the second day because we in the talks that we've had with Raspberry Pi, there's a, still a chip shortage going on. Yeah, um, we we didn't know that was going to happen so quickly. And we were afraid if we started pushing it, um, that it would really take off if it ended up on, you know, Rolling Stone magazine or or something yeah. picked up somewhere that we would have um, we would have been then at the mercy of the Kickstarter system. Well, you can't you can't just stop a Kickstarter. So if it yeah. runs off the tracks, um, you have, you know, the opposite problem of a Kickstarter failing, which they do all the time you have a problem that you can't turn it off. And so the next thing you know, we'd be in, you know, potentially end up with a bunch of product we couldn't deliver on time. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of shut it down. It was like, well, we thought it's obvious the demand is there. So we're good. Let's just kind of be yeah. quiet from now on about it and let it play out. But it was, yeah, like less than 24, it was about 18 hours. It was fully funded. And you could always do another round later if you needed to. Yeah, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna open Dropstation. It's Dropstation.us. We're gonna open it up to pre-order soon. We thought we would do it sooner than later, but we're still waiting um, in in talking to Raspberry Pi Foundation um, or the Raspberry Pi Limited, I believe it's called, because that's we're kind of in their commercial arm of usage. Um, and we talk to them every week or two to kind of get an update. Um, we have orders out with the distributors now for the batch that's shipping in September. Um, but I think once we get a better, what's happened is now, I don't know if you've monitored the Raspberry Pi situation, but it, they're, they're like sneakers now. They're being hoarded and flipped on eBay, right? For five uh, times their value or oh, so? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, if you're lucky. Yeah. And if so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like basically Raspberry Pi became became like a, a hot, you know, Nike sneaker drop. And, and any time a retailer had them, these bots would swoop in and pick up all of the stock. And then they would get, you know, slowly be trickled onto eBay at five to 10 times the price. Again, if you're lucky. Like so sneakers, PlayStation 5s. Oh, uh, oh yeah. It, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty sad, actually, because one, of the, one bummer is, is that the goal of Raspberry Pi was, was kind of for education. And so... Yeah. 
none of these people who have had for two years, these people who have had interest in maybe building something cool could not. And that sucks. I mean, that's a total bummer. So what's happened is in the past, I want to say like five months or so, Raspberry Pi has been aggressively cracking down on stuff disappearing from warehouses or, you know, even distributors having some shady stuff going on. Um, and they've started cracking down and then urging their distributors and retailers to police who's buying what. So there's a lot, they're starting to come back on the market now, but they're being limited by, um, you know, the amount of quantity you can purchase. And yeah. sometimes they require a pre-existing relationship with the company. And then on the commercial side, like for us, um, we have, we have to prove to them, you know, like sending them the link to the Kickstarter, uh, sending yeah. them the link to our website. Um, we had an existing account with our distributor, Newark. Um, and so we, you know, you kind of have to negotiate and plan around this, this whole thing. But we're at the mercy right now of Raspberry Pi availability, specifically the chip on the Raspberry Pi, which is manufactured by Broadcom. That's the. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So what's the. Oh, yeah. What's the status of the app right now? I know it. Uh, the it, right as of right now, we've we're we've only we're about done. We've only done testing on the Android. So we, we're all iPhone people. Just so happens we have tons yeah. of iPhones to test on actual devices. We've only been testing on Android on the emulator and just um, just received yesterday uh, Samsung S10. Galaxy S10. This is a nice phone. It sounds pretty good too. So we we've got the. We're just trying to make sure everything's running smooth on Android yeah. because we don't want to. Um, and we developed in a framework um, called Flutter that allows us to kind of write one code base and then generate um, an Android and iPhone app from the same nice. code base. And the um, the DropStation app works the same way. And the DropStation app is basically it's like three tabs. Um, and the center tab is just kind of like a mini burn table uh, oh, cool. version. And that allows you to, because our device, because the drop station device is already in between your, your turntable phono stage and your amp, um, anytime you just kind of want to plug into somebody else's record collection, it, that comes out of our, our DAC, our digital to analog converter. And so yeah. you can just kind of like chill in your living room and play your couple of your own records and be like, let's listen to the jazz channel and, you know, 96 K lossless. And, and then you're listening to not only other people's records, but you're listening to other people's turntables um, and cartridges, which can be pretty cool because, you know, you might notice one user using a specific cartridge for things and think like that sounds pretty good. Like I had no idea how much I liked the Grado gold cartridge uh, until I heard it on burn table. And then I was like, man, that's, it's a, it's a, I really like cartridges that sound really good, but aren't thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one that's actually accessible to the, the normal human. (laughs) I normally tell there's one cartridge I always tell people to buy and it's the, the uh, audio tech AT VM. There's a VM 95 ML and an, um, and, and a, V, VM, VM 540, something like that. Um, and they, th- that's my usually go-to. I wouldn't say like that. It, it's maybe 150 bucks, but it's a big bang for your buck. Like that's what I like about it. And if you want to go even further, the HANA SL cartridge, I think, I think is a value at 750 bucks. Um, so, I mean, but it's really cool. You slowly just listening to burn table, start becoming a cartridge expert because you're hearing all these different cartridges. Yeah. And it's like, man, that, and not only that, but you know, someone on burn table's got an old sure cartridge that it's got a, it has a really cool vibe to it. I mean, it's like, it's, it sounds good. And they, they emailed and said like, do you think it sounds okay? I was like, don't change a thing. It yeah. sounds great. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, not everything needs to be a $700 cartridge or a, Three thousand dollar turntable. That's matter of fact. It's better if some of it's not because you oh, might yeah. buy that album later and not be able to reproduce right what yeah. you're getting out of a thirty thousand yeah. dollar hi fi system. <laughs> I, I would say by far the the car to me the cartridge is the most important part. I'm sure someone. I'm sure many people would argue with that, but I I liken that to 
again, being in the recording studio, recording a vocalist and, and that microphone, that first part of the signal that's doing the heavy lifting of converting what's coming out of their mouth into a recording. Yeah. We haven't even gotten to digital yet, but, but that, you know, people, Studios will regularly pay uh, $20,000 for a, a Neumann U47 microphone um, and not even blink. That's that's just a given yeah. that they know when they put that microphone in front of most singers, it's going to be, and it's on, that microphone's probably on a good 60 to 70% of every record you've ever heard. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and there's a reason for it. And so, um, and that's what kind of, what, what cracks, I understand when people say like, well, burn table doesn't make sense because it's analog and it's digital. And it's like, you, you really have to understand that that the role of that cartridge and that stylus and that, and the work put into that pressing that that's the role of the microphone that was used in the studio. And that, that microphone was, was piped into a also $3,000 preamp that that engineer swears by and won't change. And yeah. that preamp output went right into maybe a console or into uh, an analog to digital converter that, again, that engineer swears by. He says, I, and know, might I not like. have been serviced in 12 years. Oh, right. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and I mean, that, that's the other thing, too. Is, and I get it. You know, when I, I've seen a lot of stuff with like certain, you know, celebrity celebrity musicians where they're promoting analog. And I totally get that. But this this it's very possible to kind of create a bad sample when you get into like being when you get into the analog versus digital debate yeah the thing you have to factor in is that to be the guy that's operating a a 24 track two inch machine you you've already been working in a studio if they trust you around that machine you've been working around around engineers who can uh, can work are being hired to work in a studio that can afford that machine chances are really good you know what you're doing you know how to use a mixing console and you know how to record and so you to tell, to say that the analog was the reason why that's good you're really discrediting the operator and that's why I would yeah. say the same thing that you could you could just as well credit the the engineers and and all the way everyone who had you know custody of that signal from analog to digital to anywhere else that yeah. all of those people deserve credit for sort of honoring what originally happened in that room when the record was recorded. Yeah. Well, you know, and for me, the difference in digital and analog isn't so much a competition as like digital is great when I'm jogging, when I am driving a car, that's, that's all fine and good. But when I'm home and when, when I'm not listening to music while doing something else, when what I'm doing is sitting down for the purpose of taking in a great album. I want that vinyl. I want that sound. Instead of it being something I'm doing while I'm doing other things, it's, it's the act of sitting down specifically to listen to music that I enjoy. That is where analog really shines for me. Yeah, for sure. I, and I, I'm the same way. I, I, I think what happened to me is once I got, once I got the, the burn table, once I was able to inject that and the, the DAC plays a big role in this too, because remember the, yeah. the analog to digital conversion is just one side of it. Then turning that data back into analog is, is just as important in a lot of ways. And getting, getting to where I started noticing I was listening to burn table stuff on, on, through my amp and my speakers in my living room. That was when I, I started to realize like this, I prefer analog, but I, I prefer what's, I think what I prefer is what was done on that vinyl. Like I prefer the yeah. way that was done in most cases. And when you're sitting there with your, with your phone connected to your speakers um, and you, you give it the same care and attention you would your turntable as yeah. in, you know, I'm going to sit in my li- living room and listen to music, but let, let me give digital a shot through my system the same way I enjoy my records. That's where you can really begin to pick apart what what it is you like and don't like about each each thing. And it, it, to me, what it ends up being is is the mastering. It is it's not Spotify's fault necessarily. It's not it's you know, there was some point in history when when digital exploded when the CD exploded that yeah. you have to imagine that the amount of work that was done to convert all of this stuff. And, and I don't necessarily know yeah. that a lot of care was taken the way it should have been 
when that was done uh, originally. And it was fast. It was, yeah, we've got to have everything have on CD now. Yeah. It, Get it, out. it was, yeah. And that's, that's the way I look at it. And so, you know, you can't, it's logistics. You can't really blame, you can't blame digital. You, you can't really blame anyone. It was, it was consumers wanted it. They wanted the convenience. And so all of those things needed to happen. So, but, but now being that we've kind of gotten over the convenience factor, you know, you see this explosion of vinyl happening and it's kind of a good point, a good time to sort of sit and say like, what do I like? How do I prefer to listen to music? And how much of, how much of vinyl is that ritual and how much of it is actually like, I prefer the way this sounds. I prefer the energy and the dynamics and the, in the stereo image of this, you know, I mean, there's so many factors. With that said, that translates so well. I have been listening to Burntable through my television web browser hooked into my amp and coming out through my speakers. And it translates really well. I mean, I love even I love even hearing a little pop here and there. I love the the whole feel manages to come with it, which is something that I guess traditional digital music, I, I don't know how to say that. Is, is something I feel like I've been missing, like from yeah, I, I Apple Music what, or Spotify. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And I, and I can't, I can't tell you why either. I mean, if you think <laughs> of, honestly, if you think of the, how complex the human, our hearing system is neurologically, you know, from our ears into our brain. Um, and, and the reason, you know, how evolution gave us that as a tool to, to protect ourselves and be able to hear um, be able to hear a predator from 50 yards away, step on some leaves while you're next to a waterfall like that, yeah. that, that tool was given to us. We don't, we don't really need that anymore. <laughs> and so, yeah. and so now we kind of play with this toy that was given to us and, and we, we came up with jazz and classical music. We came up with this as yeah. this toy. It's like, look what our ears can do. And so <laughs> it, to me that, that makes it, you end up realizing that our ears are capable of some amazing things. And it's true that with the pops and clicks and stuff, people bring that up a lot. Like why, what if I don't want pops and clicks? Can you remove those? And, and we don't, and every, we encourage people not to mess with that. And the reason is every automated system we've had to remove that, um, that we've tested is having a negative effect on the dynamics that we're trying to preserve in the first place. And so you might not hear it right away, but for instance, like when when a when the tip of a, a drumstick hits a snare drum, there that is like this really explosive event that has a lot of subtle parts that yeah. that are you know condensed into a short amount of time, but but contain a lot of information. And again, going back to that evolution thing and how good we can hear is that. We, we are able to kind of create an image and place things by the way a transient was, was delivered to our ear. And so when, you know, when you try to remove pops and clicks, especially automatically, you're kind of searching through the digital data to try to find things that don't look like they belong, but you, you have to be a random very, peak or, yeah. a random peak, right? But it, the question is, is, is what's, what was random and what, you know, what we've, what we've seen is that it, it'll take that snare drum crack and just snip off like nanoseconds, like small yeah. amounts. And it doesn't seem to affect it until you compare it on speakers in that room, like you're saying, and you, and suddenly it doesn't, it seems like now the music's kind of tucked back toward the wall behind my speakers for some reason. Yeah. And, and that's your brain telling you is you know, something's changed and, and, well, you know, I could play you those two, the two versions of that one where I, I snipped off just a little part or I compressed a little part of the dynamics of that snare drum crack. And if I played them to you, you know, independently, you know, at different times, not back to back, you might not say there's any difference, or you might say this is the same file, stop pulling my leg. But when you hear them back to back, you suddenly your brain starts seeing this difference, maybe in this. 3d placement of this sound and okay. it and that and then suddenly you begin to see why again why you like sitting down and listening to records and what it is about that those little things vinyl doesn't really place those limits um, yeah that you might you might have placed somewhere else or again we don't know really what the effects of spotify's and a lot of these streaming services algorithm is when it's 
when it's um, compressing those dynamics to achieve that that uniform loudness level. So um, that's where you end up with these things. And I'm sure you've discovered there are some things you can listen to on whatever streaming service you use, and they sound fantastic. Yeah. And and then there are other times when you go and you put a record on and say, I've never heard anything on Spotify like this record playing on my turntable through my stereo system. And so we're kind of just trying to merge those two worlds. 30% plus people who you t- explain Burntable to are going to be like, this makes no sense. <laughs> what is it digital or is it analog? Like what is even happening here and why would anyone do this? <laughs> like, so it, 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 how do you do that? How do you have this? Like, well, let's talk about, the tools evolution gave you humans to avoid being eaten by a bear. And you have to go back through this whole story. And it's almost like, you know, opportunities to come on a podcast like this are great because you get a chance for someone to hear this, like, Oh, son of, you know, son of a gun. That's why, that's yeah. why I can hear these subtle things. And you know what? I do hate my headphones. I do want better headphones. <laughs> I'm not crazy. You know, I'm always so. yelling at my kids about headphones. You know, yeah. even for gaming, they always they buy the Microsoft. I'm like, guys, let's go to Guitar Center. Let's go somewhere yeah, right. where we can get you real yeah. headphones. And we finally we bought them some Audio Technicas. They came home and their minds were just. Oh, I'm sure. Right now they're <laughs> they're like, this is so much better. Or it's or it's too real, and, and they're getting post traumatic stress syndrome yeah. from how real the games are. It's like it sounds too good. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you guys have a hope at some point of offering an on-demand type service? Is that yeah? Oh yeah, for sure. That's that's the goal. That's where we're. I mean, I, when you ask where is it headed, I, I should have clearly articulated that. That is the end goal. We and we think we'll be, we think we'll be successful at, at getting that agreement in place at some point. I think that yeah. one advantage is we are a lean operation. We don't have. Um, a bunch of, you know, marketing managers and whatever. And the plan is to just keep it really lean and and pipe as much of that money into artists and labels pockets as they want. We don't need yeah. to be rich. We don't need to be, you know, we don't need to buy yachts. We don't need anything. We just like that people are are into it. A and decent I living think, would be nice. Yeah. A decent <laughs> living would be nice. And what we think that, you know... I'm sure the labels are going to love that because everyone else they've negotiated with comes comes at it like, look, we we can bring this many users and we're going to charge seven ninety nine a month and can we keep uh, can we keep five ninety nine? And the labels like, no, you can't. No. And they're they're the ones who decide. It's their it's their material. They don't have to license anything to anybody. Yeah, so they have for all on, the cards. They yeah. have all the cards, right? And so we're kind of hoping, you know, that it will work out. What we're trying to do is get. Uh, the first goal is to get, um, well, first we're, we're making sure our June, our first batch of drop stations go out, um, which is critical for us now because we are really excited about having tons of material put on to burn table. Um, and we have an obligation to those people who supported our thing, like, yeah. and they're like the earliest supporters. Um, and when you get and, them out, that music's going to come. The oh, yeah, right. Follow and so, immediately. <laughs> infrastructure wise, we have all of that taken care of. My, my main software background is in infrastructure engineering. So I, I'm, I've been working on like working with like Amazon cloud, um, Amazon web services since it started. I think I was oh, probably wow. one of the first 500 customers, if not earlier. Oh, so wow. I, I know that world and I know the world of processing systems and queues and all that stuff very well. And so well, I was one of the first things was I didn't want there to be any hiccups and people getting stuff onto burn table. And yeah. so um, with that, at least we have the drop station getting ready to have all that material um, flooding burn table, which is going to be awesome. And then um, we're, we're also getting the burn table app out the door as soon as possible. Um, and that's just pending our Android device tests. We just wanted to get a few more device tests in yeah. um, to where people could start playing with it. And then we can see if, you know, what kind of interest there is in which features and um, and is how the hope to have that around the time that the drop stations start going out? Yeah. In fact, the burn table app in terms of apps, the burn table app is going to be first. And I I'm hoping that goes out in the first week of June. Oh, wow. Um, like real quick. Then, uh, I mean, we've been working on it for six months, so it's, nice. it's about the tail end. Um, and then the drop station app is, 
is going to be either shipping to our first 50 people via the beta program. So we use something called test flight on the iOS side, on Apple side, and we use yeah. um, Google, Google Play's beta system. Um, so they're either going to get that app that way. And mainly our thought behind that right now is we don't want a bunch of people going to the app store on Google Play and downloading the app. And if because if you don't have a drop station to connect it to, it doesn't do anything. I mean, it's yeah. like, it just says select your drop station and it's not right. on your network. And so you, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So we, we might limit that and in, in use the beta uh, distribution thing there. But Burn Table will be publicly available first, um, nice. which will be as it, as it exists pretty much now, it lets you create playlists um, very similar to a site called 8tracks.com or Mixcloud. Um, nice. And so as long as your playlist doesn't violate the rules of our streaming license, then you can share it publicly. And so you can kind of make playlists out of other people's vinyl and then share those. And then people can listen to them um, using that same kind of semi-interactive license. That's probably what I ran into the other day. I was trying to set up a playlist and I think I grabbed that Led Zeppelin too and just yanked a couple songs off it and grabbed yeah. something from another. And I was having a little trouble with it, but I thought, Okay, this is coming together. I was like, yeah, this it's, is, it is, you, you it's can a work in progress. A, a labor of love that is yeah. coming together. We, and we have we've tried to we kind of like release stuff as we're working on it. We're like, oh, that works pretty good. And so we just put stuff out there, like especially on the website. It's it's kind of like we get half the feedback we get. It's like, hey, this is broken. And then the other half is like, hey, can you make it do this instead? And so that's what we want. And we feel <laughs> like we don't get any suggestions until we put something out there. And then it, what, what's it, while it might seem still like a dumb strategy, it's a good strategy to me because that, that to me tells us we're only working on stuff people want. And, and that's the best, that's yeah. the idea. It's like to, if we can be as efficient as possible, like what will make us the most efficient at working on these apps is when people tell us what they want. So yeah. getting stuff out there and sort of seeing where people are confused and we come across stuff every day, we'll search for on forums and we'll find posts on forums where people will say, you know, I don't understand when you click this, it does this. And so, and then we go back and we fix it. <laughs> so, so I've we, noticed you guys do a good job of bouncing around and keeping up with those conversations. Oh yeah. We're, we're constantly, we deploy software probably on average. I would say on average once a day, some days you'll get, you'll get 10 updates on, wow. on the web, on the web app. Um, yeah. And then we're, we're kind of working um, the website and the the iOS and Android app for Burntable use the same APIs, so um, nice. we're kind of getting those all synced up and um, and then kind of like as we as we see what people say about what they can access on the web, um, we we kind of have been adding some of those features and modifying stuff on the mobile on the native app as well to kind of nice. sync up with that. So in that sense, the you know we don't we don't really aggressively promote you know go to burn table and listen to our streaming platform yeah and that the reason we don't is because the people who find it now like yourself included are are people who are like really into what we're doing they get it and they're going to forgive us for a little hiccups now and then but they're also yeah. going to not feel bad about emailing us and being like hey can you make it do this <laughs> or whatever and so it works out and so we what what we're trying to do is get it to where everyone's everyone likes it and thinks it's cool and then we can push it out Start well, you voting. know, at it took two seconds for it to click in my brain and go, "This is badass. This is a this is a big thing. This has some serious potential." Uh, as soon as Alan said it, I was like, "Ding! That's that's such yeah, a great idea." It. It's it is really interesting to hear how people. When we get emails like I got a really awesome email from this guy that this is like a, a week ago or two. It was like a Saturday night. And you could tell he had been like sitting and just like drinking whiskey and listening <laughs> to Burn Table on his couch. And he sends this email and it's like, I'm just sitting here on my third glass of whiskey and I'm just marveling at what you have created here. This is amazing. And I'm like, man, that's one of those things where it's like a drunk email you're going to regret the next day. And so I wrote him right back and I was like, that's awesome. Your email is awesome. And we're going to get drunk with you. And this is great. So that way, that way, the next morning, he didn't have to, to go like, oh, why did I send that email? I hope I didn't yeah. sound like an idiot. Like, you're not an idiot. We too 
will drink whiskey and listen to Burn Table. What That's you're doing right. is, is a-okay. I did it this weekend and I'll probably do it this evening. So Okay, good. Awesome. Well, hey, where can listeners go to learn more about Burn Table, Drop Station, and see what you guys are doing? Um, t- Burn Table is just burntable.com. So it's Burn Table, uh, like turntable, but with a B. And then, yeah. um, and then Drop Station is dropstation.us. Nice. Um, and not to be confused with burn tables, which are uh, plasma CNC cutters. <laughs> I our, saw lawyers, our lawyers have assured us that we're not, you know, creating any confusion <laughs> with their, they, they say like, well, by the time someone gets to the burn table, so there's a pretty big difference between a device that, that shoots plasma through steel. Then there is, you know, a vinyl turntable. So you're probably okay. I hope they, I hope they think it's cool when they, when they're like, what is this, what is this burn table thing? Like that's, we're burn tables and I hope they're cool about it. So if you just Google burn table now, we show up, but we're not like, don't click the first two links. Cause that's for burn tables. You'll, you'll cost them money. And unless, <laughs> unless you're interested in a CNC plasma table, which if you are, check them out. Which case, two for one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, Aaron, thank you so much, man, for coming out. This was I was excited about this, and it's everything I hoped it would be. It's been a great chat, and I can't wait to get my hands on a drop station. <laughs> awesome. Great. Yeah, it was great being on. Great talking to you. Anytime. Awesome. Well, everybody, make sure you follow Innovation Tech Talks on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, wherever you ingest your podcasts and grab a copy of Innovation in Tech Today magazine wherever you buy magazines. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time.